guidance for them as they walk into their new futures. Uh, we ask for blessings over these gifts and, and, and uh, uh, presence, and they honor you and, uh, and, the, and your blessings. We pray. Amen. jump into the sermon I just want to I want to thank the band and Nick and who's new and I guess Eric did his penance and he is out of the cage for a little while and so we enjoy having Nick with us and he brought the average age of the band down quite a bit and Eric and Aaron and George and Becky and and Ken back there as well just to, if you are interested in being a part of the band, there are spots open. If you play guitar or bass or keyboard or piano or, or drums or you, you can carry a tune, uh, there's a place for you. So I'd invite you to you reach out to me, reach out to Eric or drums. Yes? Oh, push, yes, I'm getting to the push the button. I couldn't figure out what this was. Anybody know what instrument this is? So if you can push a button on your keyboard you too can be a part of the AV team. And we could use some folks, yeah, simply to help advance the slides. It's really not that difficult. And uh, we will definitely give you some training. And, and perhaps you, uh, in your past, have run some kind of soundboard. Again, it's, it's not difficult, and Ken can train you um, to help run the soundboard. We would uh, love to have some more folks on that team. And uh, it, everything will be provided in training and we would love to have some more bodies helping with this type of thing. Many hands makes little work, as the saying goes. 
And just to give you kind of a, another rundown of, of the plan for the next couple weeks, today is June 2nd. Next week, June 9th, is Pentecost. So I'd invite you to wear red as a traditional thing we would do on, on Sunday. Some of you guys are early for Pentecost. That's good preparation. You can always celebrate the Holy Spirit. So it's a Pentecost Sunday next, next Sunday. Wear red. We'll be celebrating with the Pentecost story and talking about the Holy Spirit again. And uh, we'll have the F&R Music Project from South Tampa will be with us leading worship next week, a friend of mine uh, from South Tampa area. And then on the 16th, a band will be back on Father's Day leading us again. And then on the 23rd, we will have uh, Bryant Manning again with our band leading and uh, for one of the last times. And then the 30th, June 30th, we will be having a full-on brunch church. Will everybody be at tables? We're going to bring some dishes and, and enjoy some brunch here before, during, and after worship. And uh, Bryant Manning will be back with the band. And uh, Pastor Tracy will be her first Sunday. And, and she may do some singing. And she's going to be preaching. And I'm going to take uh, the week off. But it's going to be a great Sunday, that uh, first Sunday. And then, June, uh, July 7th, we're going to start a new series. I don't know if any of you all, anybody else in the room has been caught up with uh, the, the phenomenon that is Stranger Things. Anybody Stranger Things fan? July 7th, we're going to start a summer series called Stranger Things. Because uh, season three of Stranger Things comes out the uh, 1st of July. So we'll be spending some of the summer looking at Stranger Things. We're going to look at the miracles in the book of John called Stranger Things. So make sure you join us for that as well. So we have been in this series Creed for the last several weeks. And we've walked through kind of line by line starting, as we said today, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in the second week we, we spent... Just a short time on a bunch of lines that about Jesus and in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We talked about our belief in the Holy Spirit and, and in the Holy Catholic Church, not meaning the big C Catholic Church that's down the street on, uh, on Fishhawk Boulevard or Boyette Boulevard, but in the universal, the worldwide Catholic Church. We believe about the communion of saints, and, and yesterday, last week we talked about the forgiveness of sins, and today we're going to wrap up with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And it's my hope with this series that we have, are hoping to move this creed that we say virtually every week beyond something that we simply say by rote or by memory, or more usually when we have the words to remind us up on the screen, um, but that it becomes something that when we say those words, it's something that really truly means something to us. The, the Apostles' Creed gives us our list of essentials. It, it's, it's a place of, of unity for the body of Christ. That's why we talk about the belief in the Catholic Church, the unity of the body of Christ. The Apostles' Creed is in its original formation, was used as a tool to help people that were, were studying for preparation for baptism. And, and it contains all the essentials of our faith. There's a 17th century theologian, Peter Meiderlin, who said this. He said, if we might keep in necessary things unity, in unnecessary things freedom, 
and in both charity, our affairs would certainly be in the best condition. Now, that quote has gotten turned around and attributed to many other people since then, including John Wesley, who, who turned it and made it say this a little bit uh, uh, more, more concisely. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. So the Apostles' Creed offers us a short list of things considered essential to confess one's faith in the Christian faith. Those who wish to be baptized traditionally. It was used during the, the season of Lent, and they studied during the season of Lent, they prepared themselves, and on, on Easter Sunday morning, they would come and recite the creed and enter the pool of baptism. Adam Hamilton says that the creed ends where Easter begins, with the resurrection and the promise of life everlasting. And in baptism, we say that we, we die to ourselves when we're, when we're submerged into the water. And when we're raised, then we're raised in new life in Christ as we emerge from the water, from death to life. Peggy and I were at a, a training this weekend for Fresh Expressions, and, and we heard about this one pastor who even, he started baptizing people in a coffin. He, somehow he got an extra coffin from the, the local funeral home, and he, and he lined it so there was waterproof, and they could fill it with water, and, and, and they baptize people. You get down in the coffin, you go down into the water, symbolizing the, the death to self, and you are raised out of the water, out of the coffin, symbolizing new life in Christ. It's quite a striking image. I'm not sure I would want to have a baptismal coffin in here all the time, but it's quite an interesting image. You know, the, the saying goes that there's nothing certain in this world except what? Death and taxes. Absolutely. And since the beginning of time, all of humanity has asked the question, what happens when we die? What, what, what is this like? We're not, and we're not merely asking what happens to our physical and our, and our human bodies when we die, but we're asking a, a, a deeper question. Do we continue to exist after we die? And, and if we do, in what way? What, what is it like when we die? And according to archaeological findings, for thousands of years, we, we find that groups of human beings have had some type of theory in different centuries of, of what happens at death. And, and every culture has had their own way of, of talking about it and words they use to, to speak about it and, and to commemorate it. And even so, the question still remains, what happens to us when we die? Unfortunately, Scripture doesn't give us a, a super clear answer to that. And Scripture doesn't give us very much to go on to an answer to this kind of question in the way that we would like it answered, the way that I would like it answered. And, and I've come to grips that I think that's okay. And we don't have... 
the very super clear answer of exactly laid out how we would want it to be. But friends, we are resurrection people. We are, we are Easter people. And the creed states that the human problem in a different way. It states the human problem in a different way. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We are Easter people, and we believe in this resurrection. You know, there's a, there's a lot of goofy preachers out there, starting with me, and there's some out there that have some really odd beliefs and odd teachings. I've heard of one recently who's been going around and, and telling people that you can't be cremated. Don't be cremated, or else you won't be going to heaven. You won't be resurrected. And here's the reason. He said that God needed our bodies in order to give us new bodies. Now, does that give anybody else a little pause? Now, think about how silly that sounds. God's the creator the maker of the heavens and the earth, the, the God who created us all and everything from absolutely nothing needs something to create new life? How can that be, right? You know, if, if God didn't need any supplies the first time, I don't think God is going to need any supplies from Home Depot the second time, right? But there's some strange things out there being taught about what we believe about happening to us after we die and what heaven might be like. And, and really, you know, if we, if we think about it, do we really want any resemblance of the bodies we currently have when we're resurrected? Am I, am I the only one? I mean, if I get a say in this, I want to be taller and thinner. Please, Lord, taller and thinner. I want to be better looking. I want to have better hair and clearer skin. No blood pressure or cholesterol medications. Anybody else want to make a pre-order of their body in resurrection? Yeah? We, we say we believe in the resurrection of the body. And that's what we believe, that we will be resurrected somehow, supernaturally, in some new form, hopefully different from what we are, and we will live life eternally with God. So we say we believe in this resurrection of the body, but let's look and see what happens to Jesus' body at resurrection, maybe give us some hints of what might happen to us at resurrection. We say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And, and what happened at Jesus' body, we know that Jesus came out of that tomb. We just sang about it. Jesus came out of that tomb after three days. And he was resurrected from the dead. He walks out of this tomb. And scripture tells us that his body must have been different. Because no one recognized him. You remember the Easter stories? Mary Magdalene in the garden, she thought, he, she thought he was the gardener. She's sitting there, and, you know, 
tell me where you've taken my master. He says, you're, you're looking for the living among the dead. He's not here. He's, been, he's risen. She didn't recognize him. She didn't recognize him until he spoke her name. When he said the word Mary to her, then she recognized him. So Jesus must have had some kind of different appearance from his normal self. And then we have the two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And, and they're walking all along the road and are having conversations with Jesus, telling him all about what they just experienced. And like, Jesus is probably like, well, yeah, no kidding. I was there. And they don't recognize him, though, until they're sitting down after the meal and, and, and he's breaking the bread. And, and, and then their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And then poof, he's gone. So somehow Jesus' body must have been different and yet similar. We're told that for 40 days when he was resurrected from the dead that, that he ate and he taught with his disciples. They, they touched him. And then he ascended into heaven after 40 days. And, and during that time, he, he ate and they touched him, he taught and, and they could speak with him. But he also walked through closed doors. He also moved from place to place freely. So somehow he was the same and yet different. Paul gives us a little bit of insight into what may take place in our resurrection. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, A rotting body is put in the ground, but what is raised won't ever decay. It's, it's degraded when it's put into the ground, but it's, but it's raised in glory. It, it's weak when it's put in the ground, but it's raised in power. It's, it's a physical body when it's put into the ground, but it's raised as a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, he says, then there is also a spiritual body. He goes on later to say, and when the rotting body has been clothed, it can't de decay. And the dying body has been clothed in what it can't die then the statement in Scripture that we hear from Isaiah will happen. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. We put what's in the ground and it's going to decay, but then it's raised up into a new glory because it's clothed in something new and different. It's covered in something new and different. It allows this new body to be resurrected. And death no longer has any domain over this body. Death, where is thy sting? Death has been swallowed up by the victory of Jesus Christ. 
I believe in the resurrection of the body, that what is put in the ground is raised into new life, a new life that will never die, and that death has been swallowed up forever and ever. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hunger or violence or oppression. There's no more shootings, there's no more political haggling, there's no more arguing over non-essentials. There's only new life, new life that is completely everlasting. So what about life everlasting? What is, what's, what's that like? The scriptures, again, give us just a little taste, and, and they're only metaphors for what heaven is like. We, we get things like streets of gold, right? Kind of automatically takes us to thinking heaven is like the Wizard of Oz, right? We hear about streets of gold and pearly gates, right, where apparently Peter is the gatekeeper, apparently. So streets of gold and pearly gates, but... But these little metaphors only help us to think of how heaven, how marvelous heaven might be. I wouldn't take it as a literal that we're going to maybe have streets of gold and pearly gates, but I could be wrong. I think it's a, I think it's a poetic metaphor. You know, if I wrote the scriptures, here this is dangerous, but if I wrote the scriptures... I might say and describe heaven as like unlimited Rays baseball games, right? Probably not at the Trop, probably at a new stadium, closer to Lithia. And without Yankee, the Yankees or the Red Sox. Now, my wife told me that I was wrong about this, and she said, Eric, you know, in the day of resurrection, even the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to be sanctified. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. So unlimited baseball, great food, and good friends. That sounds like a pretty good heaven, right? And I got to tell you, friends, I'm, I'm hoping that we're not just sitting around playing, you know, playing the lyre or the flute or the lute with, with David, you know, playing the harp. Right? I mean, if I don't know about that. I'm, I'm hoping there's some Billy Joel and some classic rock and, and the Eagles with Joe Walsh on guitar, right? But however it looks, heaven will be a place where, where no one will experience the sting of death ever, ever again. Not their own death, not the death of loved ones not the death of relationships, no death at all. In our funeral liturgy in the United Methodist Church, that, that's the, the order and the scripture and the prayers and the songs that we sing at a funeral or a memorial service. That liturgy takes us from a place that helps us to acknowledge the pain and the anguish of our grief over death. But then it moves us to resurrection and Easter. The, the liturgy actually translated means the work of the people. So the liturgy, this work of the people, moves us from death 
and anguish and pain and grief to resurrection and Easter, acknowledging that that we will be resurrected and we will join Jesus forever. There won't be any more pain or suffering, no more tears, no more death. We're acknowledging that, that death has been swallowed up, swallowed up forevermore. There won't be any terrible, debilitating diseases. There's no cancer. There's no heart disease. There's no MS. There's no Alzheimer's. There's no heart failure. Death and disease is gone forever. I believe in life everlasting. A life where I have been made whole by the power of Jesus' own resurrection. A life where you have been made whole by the power of Jesus' resurrection. Eternal life where we will feast in fellowship forevermore. A place where we will watch baseball and, and listen and sing to good music and eat and pray and laugh and tell stories and live. Where we will be fully alive Maybe for the very first time in our lives, we will be fully alive, where we will experience the fullness of life that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. Gone is all the baggage of this side of life. Several years ago, I had the um, opportunity to be at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas, to hear Adam Hamilton, and he had just finished up this series, this sermon series, and this book, and, and he shared a powerful story of death and the Apostles' Creed. And so take a look at it and watch this. Some years ago, I was preaching on Sunday, and uh, at the end of the sermon, I sat down, and one of our associate pastors handed me a note, and I opened the note up, and it said, Doug and Hannah have been called out of town. Uh, their son, George, who had just graduated from Stanford, he was hiking in the mountains, and he slipped and he fell, and the note said that he had fallen to his death, and, and the note to me was, Doug and Hannah have been called out of church. They are on their way to the airport. Here's a phone number. You can reach them tonight. George has died. And so I called that evening after church, after our evening service, and I got Doug on the line, and I said, Doug, I am so sorry. My heart hurts for you. I wish I had a word that I could say that would make it all okay. I wish I could hold you in my arms right now. And, and he said in that tone of voice, that sort of shock I've heard from parents when they lose their children, he said, Adam, there's only one thing that's holding me together right now. I said, what is that, Doug? He said, it's a set of words that I memorized when I was a kid in confirmation class. I said, what are those words? I knew what he was going to say. He said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And then his voice got a little stronger. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. He said, Pastor, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and then his voice got stronger, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Pastor Adam, that's all that's holding me together right now. And that's why I think this creed matters, and what we believe matters, and how it shapes our lives, and how it shapes our suffering, and how it shapes our hope. The Christian gospel offers us good news. And, you know, in the end, you have to make a decision. You decide. I, I can't prove it to you. I can only say here's enough evidence and here's enough reasons and here's what it does to make a difference in your life. But in the end, you have to decide, do I trust that or do I trust that we're just an accident on an accidental and surprising planet in the middle of the universe with no hope and nothing more? And as for me and my family, we choose to believe. I choose to believe. Do you choose to believe? And when we, when we face those situations, when we don't know what to do, when there are no words to pray, where there are no words to say, this is when the beauty of the words, the creeds of our faith, the prayers of our faith that we've committed to memory or we have stuffed in our Bible somewhere when they come to life for us. We don't know what to say, but we can, we can filter back into this seed that was planted into us. Planted it into us maybe as, as young children or as teenagers in confirmation or or just planted and watered weekly as a part of our worship together in community that we can refer back to. When I don't know anything else, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God forgives my sins and one day will be resurrected together forever. We can't explain everything to remove every question and doubt, but, but we can choose to simply believe. And I believe that this creed should, should not only inform us of life after we die, but, but it should be transforming us into how we live our lives right now, each and every day. Live today. Live today because death and life that is to come, death and life that is to come is nothing that we need to worry about. Jesus has got it handled. Live today because death and life that is to come is handled already. 
and the, the Apostles' Creed, it, it tethers us into our foundational beliefs, our essential beliefs, and, and gives us common ground with, with all believers. It, it deepens and it, and it widens our understanding of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and, and the church. And most importantly, it gives us hope and strength and patience and endurance and joy for the future. So this is my prayer for us. That, that we may hold on to the creed. Not, not as an icon to be worshipped, but as a tool to be used to further our understanding and further our development in faith. May we hold on to the creed. May we seek to live into the creed. And may we allow the perfecting work of the Spirit to transform us with each and every word that we say. Amen. I was thinking about communion today. I was thinking about the creed. You know, on, on, on days of communion, we, we hearken back to think about Jesus in the upper room with his friends, the disciples. And, and Jesus reminds them of his teaching in several different ways. And, and he gives them some instructions for going forward, but I can't imagine maybe that part of that teaching was around that table, these disciples, as, as young boys had, and, and young women had been taught to believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And they were experiencing life with Jesus for those three years, 24-7, experiencing life with him. They probably had heard stories either from Jesus or others about the, the miraculous conception through the Holy Spirit and, and being born of a Virgin Mary. But they saw how he suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. They saw how he was crucified, how he died and was buried. They saw and experienced how he was raised on the third day. And, and 40, year, 40 days later, they, they saw how he was ascended into heaven. And they heard from Jesus' own lips, I'm returning to my Father to, to sit at his right side. And I'll be back. And before he left, he, he told them about this Holy Spirit, this Comforter, 
this advocate that is coming. Because I'm not going to leave you alone, friends. I'm, I'm going to send another one after me, a comforter. Name the Holy Spirit to be with you, to guide you. And, and Peter, upon you, upon you the rock, Peter, I'm going to build this thing called the church. This set-apart people, this set-apart community that's going to be different from the rest of the world. And it's going to be made up of, of saints today, saints who have passed, and saints who are coming in the future. And he said to his friends, once again about teaching about the forgiveness of sins. And he said, you too, you won't die. You will be resurrected and, and spend everlasting life at my side. I can't imagine that perhaps in that upper room that Jesus, as a master teacher, took one more opportunity to, to remind everybody about what it's about. And he and I think he might have taken that bread and he he blessed that bread and he he said and when you eat from this bread remember me. Remember all that you've experienced. And remember what, it's, what it means. Not just that you're remembering me in death and in resurrection and I'm not here anymore. But remember what this whole thing means. And when you drink from the cup, remember this, is, this is, symbolizes my blood and, and this new covenant of everlasting life that is coming. And the forgiveness of sins for you and for everybody, your past and present and future. And when you drink of it, remember that. I can't help but think they took one last opportunity to remind him. God, pour out your Holy Spirit in us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forevermore. Amen. I want to invite those who are going to be serving the elements to come forward and to prepare. And as they're coming forward, I remind you that this is not Grace Community United Methodist Table. This is not United Methodist Church Table. This is the Lord's Table, and everyone is welcome to the table.
We'll ask you when you come forward, we'll uh, come forward with open hands. We'll, we'll give you a piece of bread and you'll dip it into the cup and you'll consume the elements. If you struggle with, with gluten, we'll have a gluten-free station here where you can we'll invite you to, there to take your own wafer just so we don't contaminate it with any other elements. And you can dip it into the cup as well. After you come through the line, we invite you to spend some time at the kneeling rails. It's a great place to pray. It's a great place to think about our commitment that we make through the Apostles' Creed. founder of our faith, John Wesley, called the sacrament of Holy Communion uh, a converting grace, uh, a converting sacrament, that, that when we come and partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that it's, it's an outward sign of an inward change in our hearts that we believe. So friends, I invite you to the table. To come and say, I believe. And I invite you to spend time in, in prayer as we're nourished and strengthened for the journey to live our life to the fullest because the other stuff, death and life everlasting is already taken care of. And we are to live life without abandon because of it. I'm going to invite you to stand in one last time with the words on the screen this time. I'm going to invite you to, to recite the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to invite you to really to think about what we're saying more than just reading it rotely. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, come to the table. It is open for you.
Would you please stand for our final song? Child of God, I'm no longer.
benediction. I'm going to use this prayer how I close my morning devotions on the porch each day. It says, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, have a great week. If you are able to stay and help move some chairs for the summer kickoff tonight, that would be great. Otherwise, we will see you next week.